Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You're listening to The Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio and Sneaky Joe DiBiase on WGR Sports Radio 550. What advice would you give Brock Purdy this week? I would tell him, silence the noise and just do what he's been doing. I think we have to stop this narrative that I do not like Brock Purdy. That's not the case. I'm a fan of Brock Purdy, right? And what he's been able to do has been wowing from a fan as well as a person who's played this game. But I just call it how I see it. And I think what he's been able to do with getting guys the football has been something that we've seen a lot of people do, but not at this level. That is Cam Newton on with uh, Dan Patrick. There was something a while ago with Cam, like kind of criticizing Brock and people got mad or went after him. And now he's coming back on and talking about it. So yeah. So now he's talking about blocking out the noise and, you know, playing in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes. It's kind of tough to block out the noise when you're the Super Bowl quarterback. I would just probably think that, though, Joe, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, a lot of noise going on. Although maybe right? you try to block out the noise like when someone's asking you if you've ever thought about how you look like Lee Harvey Oswald or something along those lines because those are very strange Did, questions. Was that asked of him? Yeah. of Bro- We're talking about Brock Purdy, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, he got asked. Yeah. Did he, I don't know, Josh, did you guys if he get if he's related to him or just if if he's ever thought about how he looks like him? No, the guy just brought up, "Hey, there's a picture going around the internet of you two next to each other. Like, what do you think about that? Do you do you think you look like him?" Which and, by the way, I'm on the internet a lot and I never saw the, the side like, by side. It was but. like one tweet, but like <laughs> Purdy was literally just like, "What are you talking about? What are, what, like, can, what are you supposed to say?" To I that? don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that yeah, that Super Bowl week, right? That's Super Bowl Super week in a Bowl nutshell. Week, yes. Exactly. Uh, Thad Brown joins us right now on the Wester Hotline, of course, WROC TV. I have told Thad, I don't know about who he looks like. He's, he's his own guy, but he sounds like Adam Schefter. Whenever you're on, I always I think you sound like Adam Schefter when you're on the radio. Hmm. Do you, you, I've told you that before, Thad. I don't. I don't know if you have. You probably have. You remember it. Uh, I don't. Um, but obviously, I'm sure you have. Uh, the funny thing is, I apparently have a face that looks like everyone. I mean, I've been. I've had some good stars. I've had. I've had Matt Damon over the years. Chris O'Donnell are the two I get the most. Wow. But I am the guy. I am the guy that if I'm at a bar, someone's like, "Hey, are you Frank?" No, I'm not him. No, I'm. Not. Oh, you look like this guy. I know. I'm. I'm constantly that person everywhere I go. Uh, I must have like the most average looking face ever because I look like everybody's like friend, acquaintance, person they used to work with, and all that stuff. By the way, I just want to go back to the um, the Brock yep. Purdy Lee Harvey Oswald thing. I'm surprised yeah. that you guys didn't yeah. see it 
because I saw that thing at least 17 times in the last wow. 48 hours. <laughs> but the, you missed the quote tweet to it, which was great. It was uh, someone said these are two guys who couldn't have possibly done it by themselves. I thought that was the best. Wow. That Whoa. Is, uh, that is a tweet right there. Right? Wow. <laughs> I love it. Joe, don't you think that sounds like the, Adam Schefter? I, I'm like uncomfortable. I almost want to make sure I'm good to laugh. Like, but that's no, that's really good. Right, I know um, exactly. Right, no, I that know. is that I, is don't you think really good. That sounds like Adam Schefter. I've never thought about that until now, and I guess I could see it a little bit. I always think okay, Ian well, Rappaport as, and Adam Schefter sound the same. <laughs> well, as this goes on, you can you can let me know if you think Thad sounds like All Adam right. Schefter on here. Uh, Thad Brown joining us here on the Wester Hotline, the Extra Point Show on WGR. All right, so Thad. Um, the Bills make some coaching changes. We've talked about some of this today, and I have a theory. And one of the theories is it's not that outlandish that they were maybe going to lose two out of the three, two out of the three that they didn't choose, the two they didn't choose for defensive coordinator. So Eric Washington leaves, and now John Butler leaves. Of course, Bobby Babich is elevated. But also, it's very interesting. They hired Jamil Adai to be the cornerbacks coach. This is a position coach they did not even have on staff, cornerbacks coach. I think. This might all actually tie into Kyer Elam's lack of development and maybe, you know, not saying that they're all doing things for one guy, but I think this is partly why maybe some of these moves were made. Uh, are you implying that John Butler wasn't getting the job done as a defensive backs coach, or is this more of an, a die is specifically helpful, you think? Okay, my theory is John Butler probably wanted the defensive coordinator job. He didn't get it. And yeah, when they look at the body of work, they, prob- yeah. they probably – one of the reasons they might have given to him was, hey, we had a first-round pick in Kyrie Elam. You didn't develop him. And not that you're we're firing him or necessarily. They mutually agreed to part ways, which is what the report is. And maybe that was why – and maybe that's why he continues to tweet about how he did develop all these other guys. I think that that's tied into, hey, we don't want to lose Bobby Babbage. He developed these guys. Oh, by the way, one of the reasons why we didn't choose you ca- hasn't worked out with Kyrie Elam yet. I certainly think that it's very possible slash likely that your scenario of they had three guys who are all qualified and probably capable of being coordinator. They could obviously only pick one, and the other two guys weren't going to be happy and had to go. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And I think of the three, they picked the guy who, A, you know, I think maybe has the, the best future and upside because he's younger. But, B, you know, he's had success at two different position groups. I mean, you know, Babich, as everybody right. knows, did good work with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and then, you know, moved over to linebacker and, and took a pretty good player, Matt Milano, and, and got an all-pro season out of him and then got Terrell Bernard in his first year as a starter to be solid. You know, so he's done, you know, work in two different spots. So I think of the three, if they had to choose one, I think they picked the right guy. It is frustrating to have to lose the other two, but you can understand, you know, why that would happen. I mean, if, if you're at a company and, and you're, you know, hoping for a promotion and you get passed over it, I think there's writing on the wall that you need to listen to and maybe it's time to move on. So that that all makes sense. I don't know how much – I don't know if I'm with you with Kyer Elam being a large part of that, but it, it certainly did not help uh, Butler's case, that's for sure. And now they bring in a guy who they never had, like I said, a position coach they never had at cornerback's coach, which is uh, – uh, J- how do you say his name? I'm sorry, again, Jamil? Jamil Adai. And I, I do think that that might be like, hey, if we're going to have a guy – we have this first-round pick who hasn't developed yet. We're going to have a guy now work with him extensively because – Thad, they have a safeties coach in Joe Dana. They had a secondary coach in, you know, John Butler. 
Now they have a dedicated cornerbacks coach. So again, just some theories we're working off of. Joe and I were talking about Kyrie Elam's development, lack of development, and what this might say about where they want to go with that position, this player specifically. I mean, I think doing something different with, with Elam is something that has to happen because what they've done for the last two years has not worked. And obviously, you know, he was injured and out for a lot of last year. But, you know, there, there has not been the consistent or um, the, the indications that this is a, a first-round pick that the light's going to go on at any time. I mean, even having the big game against Pittsburgh, he was, you know, a non-factor following that. So, um, you know, I think it's some, like with Von Miller this year, when it was, all right, let's – Let's uh, you know we'll, we'll play them a little bit, then we'll we'll sit them down for a game. It seemed like they were trying whatever they could do, hoping that whatever Von Miller used to be would would return. And you know, obviously didn't have any success with it last year. I think at some point when you're having when nothing is going right with a guy, you try whatever you can. And if this year it's going to be a specifics corner coach, sure. I mean, I, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. This is a guy who's never been in the NFL before, um, and he's really you know bounced around from college to college to college. So I think he'd have a nice array of, of uh, schemes and thoughts and coordinators and people that he's worked with to come in with a, a variety of of opinions. And I think that's kind of the, the theme of the couple of the main hires they've made this year, you know, Ronald Curry, the same way. These are coaches that don't come in from one system. I've done it this way my entire life. And this is how it's going to be. These are guys that have a, a varied background of experiences and, and you would think knowledge and we'll see if it works. Do you expect their secondary to play any differently than they have with now? I mean, at least compared to a couple years ago, it's a different Defensive coordinator calling plays. It's a different. Um, it's going to be different coaches in the secondary as well. Um, they've been very what like keep everything in front of you. No big plays allowed. It's worked, and Hyde and Poyer have been so key to that too. That I don't know. Do you expect the corners to play any differently with new coaches and probably a very different level of safety behind them? No. I think it's going to be – I think the style will be the same. I mean, if they wanted to change styles and go more press man or more attack, Tyre Elam is the guy to do it with, and they can't make it <laughs> right. work with him. So if, if that's where they're at with a first-round pick who screams out, let's do it differently, I don't see any reason why it would change. And it's still Sean McDermott's defense. I mean, we don't really know um, who's calling the plays yet. You know, it, it is Bobby Babbage is the coordinator, but if this is still Sean McDermott doing the same job he did last year, I don't see any reason why the, the, the scheme in general would be different. Now, your point about the safeties is big. I mean, it seems like at maybe Micah Hyde, maybe Poyer, too, you know, are, are not back next year. Poyer is a guy that if they needed to create salary cap room would be high on my list potentially just because of the money that he would free up so it's possible you could have two new safeties next year if you change the personnel that much then the style necessarily might have to change even if just because the experience is different but i don't think that's the intention yeah. i think they want to keep doing what they're doing maybe style was even the wrong way to put it because i do think you know like it maybe the better way to think about it is just there might be more on those corners where I, this is hard to compute but how many mistakes have been made up for by corners over the years that we don't know behind, like off the camera or when we're not focusing on it because they've got two all pro safeties behind there. And even if Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde are back next year, we're definitely at a point that where I think we, we all know like that level of safety is probably not going to be on the field next year. Yeah, that's true. Now, to be fair, though, I think the part you're talking about with covering up for mistakes, I still think the mental game for both guys is high enough to where a lot of that can happen. But the other problem with, with the way you know McDermott runs the defense and, and you know how 
it's so communication based, and there's so much that where everybody in that secondary needs to be on the same page. The guys in the middle have the most responsibility simply because they can communicate with more than one person. I've talked to the corners before about this, and there's a lot of times when when the corner is just they have to know what's going on, but they're on one side of the field. They're almost on an island with their responsibilities. So as the corner, you can't really make up for anything that's going on other than maybe the guy next to you. So it's going to still be on the safeties to be smart enough and knowledgeable enough to understand what's going on and be able to kind of, you know, cover for mistakes might be a strong way to put it, but you you need to be the glue in the middle of that secondary. It doesn't matter who it's going to be. And yeah, I mean, one of the biggest concerns for me with this defense is that the coverage scheme has been so good at times, maybe not this past year, but years before because of how good those two safeties are. And, as you pointed out, one way or another, it's not going to be as good. That is a big, big concern going to next year because you can't just fix that with even a new – you might put a talented player in there, but they don't know the defense as well. It's going to be a while before that comes back again. Thad Brown on the Western Hotline. What about on the other side of the ball? Ronald Curry comes over as the new quarterback's coach. A um, little bit of a surprise that they didn't go from within. They had a few guys on staff I think that might go to, but obviously he's put time in this league. And I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, You know Curry coming out of high school and how great of a phenom he was in basketball and football. So uh, he's got the name recognition in that regard. But he also has a working relationship with Joe Brady, which it feels like, as Joe pointed out, the word would be maybe ownership. Maybe they're giving Joe Brady, it feels like, some ownership of what he wants to do with the offense here, Thad. I think that's fair. I think it's a, a good way to go about it. You know, if you're gonna, Especially on a team where the head coach is defensive-oriented and the offensive coordinator, in a lot of ways, is, quotes, the head coach of the offense. So, you know, let him pick a little bit of his staff. But, Curry, I, I love the hire because it's, there's again, you want to talk about varied backgrounds. This is a guy that was a college Division One quarterback and an NFL receiver and has coached both positions in the NFL. So, you know, this is someone who has the best background of both ends of the passing game, you know, that you could probably find out there to, to do this job. So, again, you know, varied experiences, you know, multiple. I mean, we talk about, um, you know, this, this team has always loved players that can do multiple things. When I got a coach that can really coach in multiple areas, not that he's going to coach the receivers. So I, I like the hire. And, you know, it's, it's funny, the, the Bills quarterback coach position has to be among the most attractive in the NFL because the last two guys that had that job both have coordinator spots right now. So, I mean, if you're, if you're someone in the league as an assistant and you're thinking, what job do I want to have to move up, working with Josh Allen, there's no – I mean, right now those, coordinator, or those quarterback coaches are averaging 1.5 coordinator spots per guy. I don't know why that, that, that's got to be about as attractive a job as you can have in the league right now. And then obviously with Joe Brady, uh, you know, calling the shots right now, we don't know who's going to call plays on defense. Sean McDermott forming his staff. There are always changes that can happen. We found out last year at the combine that Leslie Frazier was going to step away. I mean, it feels like maybe their, their, their group is set, but I don't know. You never know that. I guess more changes could be coming. We could get to the combine and hear about more staff changes, guys, you know, leaving, guys coming, but you never know why these things are always fluid throughout the year. Yeah, and and what the with the Bills changing defensive coordinator last year really late in the off season, it's it's not something that happens all the time, but it happened last year, so you can't right. totally dismiss it. Um, I don't think they'd want to do that again. I think you know, obviously, if you're gonna fire someone, you want to be able to have a nice array of choices to replace them with. And if you wait till the combine, 
your 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 list of available options is going to be smaller. So it's not the way you want to do business, and they haven't you know done it this year with the various changes they made. So I, I would be yep. surprised if that happened again. But you're right; you can't totally dismiss it. I, I think this is the staff they're going to have, and you know it's a, a, a different direction on defense, at least below Sean McDermott. You know, offensively, it, you know, I think we're going to get mostly the same what we got last year. But I am fascinated to see what Curry brings to the offense. Any, I know it's a couple weeks old now, but uh, any surprise at all that the Bills didn't do more of a search and just went with Joe Brady uh, as the offensive coordinator? Not at all. No, I, I think he's done enough. I liked a lot of what he did end of the season. It wasn't just, you know, the, I think they needed a vibe change, number one. And, and you know, the, the real, the problem with the offense wasn't, necessarily Ken Dorsey's scheme, it was the fact they shoot themselves in the foot, you know, once every other possession. And and at least with a new guy in charge, that seemed to go away. But you saw the adjustments. You saw the changes. You know, uh, Carl Jones, who works at uh, you know News 8 with me over in Rochester here, he talked a lot about he's liked Joe Brady's money plays, third down, red zone stuff. And, and, you know, he's been impressed with what he's done there. So I think there's been enough of a resume to want to see what he can do with a full offseason. There's a good argument, though, for everybody who's, you know, come into this job since Brian Dable has been the guy that Josh Allen likes the best and the guy that, you know, Josh Allen knows the best and maybe, you know, a new voice. And Curry could be that to a degree, but he's not going to be the guy in charge. Maybe a new guy in charge might have a, a positive impact, but I, I, I like what Brady did. I want to see a full season of him, and, and it's not a surprise that the Bills didn't go too far out of the comfort zone there. Shout out to Carl Jones, former Syracuse DB, working with Thad Brown out there in Rochester. All right, let's talk uh, players. What do they do at wide receiver, Thad? And and I want you to include what it looks like right now with you know Gabe Davis's pending free agency, Stephon Diggs, you know drop off in production at the end of the year, and then you know the comments from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean about explosive plays and player acquisition. I thought both of those were very interesting. Yeah, I think you gotta you got to spend an early draft asset on that if you can. They need to come up with, in my opinion, the Stephon Diggs succession plan. And I don't know if they'll need it this year, but it, it seems like from what happened at the end of the season, they're going to need it relatively soon. And the best way to go about doing that is in the draft. There are really good receivers, Mike Evans, Michael Pittman, who are going to be available in free agency, but they don't have the financial resources probably to compete for those guys. And it doesn't make financial sense when you have a, a elite quarterback contract to try and go out there necessarily and chase an elite wide receiver contract. You've got to hit that guy in the draft. And most drafts this year, or the last few years, there are multiple options. You don't have to come up with that ace guy in the first 15 picks. You can do it bottom half of the first round. You can do it in round two. I mean, Pittman was a second-round guy. The, the Texans have, like, four number ones who are all picked after the third round. You know, So you, you don't have to necessarily hit on that top asset, but I think they've got to start with we need to find a number one and we probably need to get him out of the draft. There's going to be guys that I think you want to fill in um, depth-wise, receiver with veteran receivers, but finding that next elite player in the draft to me is the A1 priority because you look at this receiver core the last three years and we've had two, we've had a complaint all the time. Either it's been the secondary receivers don't produce enough or at the end of this year it was the number one receiver hasn't produced enough. Stephon Diggs can get back to that. He, he didn't drop off a mile from where he was, you know, started last year, 2022, that kind of thing. It seemed like there was a slight regression, but I'm not confident that they go into next year and can just expect number one elite Stefan Diggs to show up with the improvements we saw with Kincaid and Shakir. I want someone else in there to potentially be the next number one if I need him. And again, if I don't need him next year, I'll probably need him after that. So to me, it's the draft. Right. 
Yeah, thinking about, too, for that, like, I don't know how much this will get said, but thinking about future f- number one receiver type of potential for whoever they draft because, I mean, there's at least a question about Diggs that there hasn't been before. Now, also, that I wonder about, like, the question about what style of receiver. That's changed, too, like, what the problem has been, where how often do we talk about the lack of a guy for that easy button throw that they didn't have once Cole Beasley kind of hit a wall. And that doesn't seem to be a problem now with Shakir in the slot and Kincaid in the fold. I mean, now it seems like the the type of receiver, if they can get specific with it, is absolutely like down the field guy that can open things up for the others underneath. I, I agree with that to a degree. Shakir is not an easy button throw guy. He is not a guy that, that just – because when the, the Beasley easy button throws – where literally it was Josh Allen gets to the line of scrimmage, sees Cole Beasley in single coverage, and drops back and says, I'm just going to stare at Beasley until it gets open. And it worked all the time. Shakir is not that guy physically. Shakir is so smart when it comes to working his way through his zone, but you need to take time to let him do that. He can't just come off the line and be better than the guy across from him. He's got to understand leverages and, and find open space. So that's not that's a that's a drop, sit in the pocket, read defenses. It's not the easiest of throws. I think Kincaid could be that guy because Kincaid can just flat out dominate linebackers at times. But it doesn't mean that you can just pull away from your number one. Also, you know, being able to, to to do that function, and I think that's where the Bills have a little bit of an issue because I don't know if you can find the receiver as a number one that gives you the easy button throws and the explosive plays. And I think Joe, that's where you're going with that. You almost got to pick one or the other. I wouldn't. I don't have an argument. I can make a good argument going both ways, and I, I would probably lean explosive because the one complaint about this offense, even when they were super elite, they've never been fast. They've never had that guy that just takes the top off. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie was the guy, finger quotes in that role, but wasn't dominant in it. Deontay Hardy, almost irrelevant this year. James Cook has that to a degree as a running back, but he's not the home run hitter that like a Brees Hall is. So. I want that guy that is so dominant speed-wise, explosive plays, you know, being the absolute threat down the field as much as you can be with, you know, having the other skills you want being a number one. That would be the guy I'd want to target. Thad, you're in Rochester. We're shifting our attention a bit from Sabres to prospects. There was a thing from Elliot Friedman today about their prospect pool in Rochester and how maybe they were going to be willing to move off some of those guys. Tell us about the season that they're having, uh, what's been going on down there. We've seen Devin Levi go kind of back and forth and Eric Comrie for that matter, and a few other guys too because of the injuries that are up here. But uh, give us a little uh, update on what their season has looked like and going forward. Amherst started really fast this year. They were great in October. Every game in October they scored at least four goals. And they were really good November too. But then they had a pretty rough December, and it's it's been – Kind of difficult since then. Um, you know, he took some of the top names that people would know about. You know, Rosean has 10 goals, but seven of them are before Thanksgiving. Kulik has 16 goals this year, hasn't scored since Christmas. So this is a team that's been struggling, you know, the last um, month and a half, two months or whatever, to figure out what they've been. Now, the, the offensive explosions have been there. They've had three, four games, six, seven goals, where they just look ridiculous on a particular night. But stringing it together and getting consistent production, even out of the, the top guys, and, you know, Kulik is supposed to be that, and, and certainly at a lot of times has been that for the Amherst. So the, there's some question there, but look, Seth Appert is, is 
one of the best coaches the Amherst have had, and they've had some good ones you know, over the last couple of decades or so. There's a reason why when you know Don Granado had to miss a game, Appert was the one that came up and, and, and got the Sabres bench for that night. So I think the Amherst will get stuff figured out. This is going to be a playoff team, and considering what they did last year, there's no reason not to think that they can't do some damage again in the, in the Calder Cup playoffs. But it has been a while since we've seen you know, kind of the consistent elite performance that this team showed the first two months of the season. Interesting. I what when Devin Levi comes down, like what's that like? Are people like how how do the fans react? Okay, we're getting Devin Levi down here. Like, has it become a a deal? You know, people want to go out there and watch him play because of the high accolades and being in the NHL and you know what he was thought to be here in Buffalo, and then obviously getting some run down there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, pe- people do get excited to see Levi. I mean, obviously, this is the the prospect who you know, and obviously you know, UPL has played pretty well the last month, month and a half or so. So maybe Levi mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the unquestioned future, but a lot of people still look at him that way. And it's been a while since we've had a goalie prospect of that level here. I mean, you mm-hmm. wouldn't have to go all the way back to, uh, to Miller for that, you know, to be, to be that guy wow. that, um, that, you know, wow, that's going to be the the goalie that's going to be in Buffalo for years, decades to come, hopefully. So it's been it's been fun to see, but you know, Levi hasn't performed much better down here than he has in Buffalo. He, he's coming off a, a thirty two of thirty three shots, thirty two saves on thirty three shot performance their last game out, but his other few starts have been the same kind of mixed bag we saw in Buffalo. So it, it while the future and the hopes are there for him, the talent hasn't been there yet. So it, it's hard to generate a huge buzz with a guy that everyone hopes will be good, but certainly hasn't been this year. Interesting. Comrie's played pretty well, right? I'm looking at his numbers right now. You tell me, though. 226 goals against, 934 save percentage. Looks pretty good. Yeah, he, he looks like a, an NHL veteran who's playing at the AAA level, kind of like your, your consummate quadruple-A yeah. player, you know, that kind of thing. When, when he comes down <laughs> yeah. here, he looks like a guy that, that's been around and done that. And, and at this level with, with so many young players, I mean, most of the teams at this level, you know, are, are running primarily prospect-laden squads. You know, but you'll see, like, one of the reasons that the Emmerichs uh, fell short in the Calder Cup playoffs last year, they ran into a Hershey team that employs a ton of older, more veteran players, you know, you, yeah. there's a difference when even if the guy doesn't have NHL level talent, if he's 29, 30 years old, been around the, the professional game for a while, you can see the difference, and you can see it with Comrie down here as well. All right, good, Joe. Yeah, anything before we let that go? I think we're, I think we're good. Yeah, Amherst. All right, because I wanted to get you uh, about 30 seconds if you can, Thad, on who's going to win the Super Bowl and why. If you want to share that pick, maybe you have to save it or something for some big reveal. I don't know, but what, what do you what do you think is going to happen on Sunday? No, no big reveal. I, I can give it to you right now. I think the Chiefs win. Okay. My my gut reaction was the Chiefs are the better team because the Niners haven't been great the last month, month and a half of the season. Defensively, offensively, underlying numbers aren't good. They didn't look good against the two good AFC defenses they played this year, Cleveland and, and, and Baltimore. But, you know, the Chiefs' run defense is so bad. It wouldn't stun me to see McCaffrey go for a buck fifty. It's 14-3 middle of the second quarter, and now the Niners can just pin their ears back and rush Mahomes all game long, and, and, and San Francisco wins that way. But that, to me, is the only way the Niners win because the Chiefs' defense and, and what they've done offensively lately has been too good, I think, for what the Niners under the radar kind of have been on both sides of the ball. 
All right, buddy. Well, we got some NFL events going on here over the next uh, go couple of months. You got the uh, combine, the draft, the owners' meetings, lots of stuff going on. And of course, uh, I'm sure I'm going to see you at some point. We're also going to talk a little bit down the road. So thanks for doing this today. And WROC TV in Rochester, some great stuff you guys got going on there. And uh, you and Carl do some really cool stuff. So thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks as always for giving me the time, guys. And I'm sorry I didn't uh, break a story, Adam Schefter, like during the, the segment today. <laughs> no, that's okay. You still sound like him. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> see you guys. All right. By the way, Schefter tweeting with um, he. Uh, so Woj is tweeting about this trade that happened in the NBA. Right? There's a trade that happened with the the Knicks. Apparently, I think I have to look at the trade here. And every time he tweets, like Schefter quote tweets him, almost like he is like, "Hey, I'm a basketball guy too." You know what I mean? Yeah. There's uh, I thought there was like a bromance between those two. Like they're the they're the kings <laughs> of their industry in uh, two different sports. Schefter also was trying. It, it's gone a little bit both ways. Maybe this is actually says the opposite's true. That Schefter broke NBA news a couple months ago, and it was after yeah. it was after Woj. I thought broke something NFL, and it was almost a little of uh, you. You really you want you step into my game? Watch this. I'm, I'm gonna break some Knicks news or something. So. We'll see if Schefter gets into <laughs> I think that. You're right. By the way, uh, All right. the trade, yeah. just fun fact, the guy, the today's yeah. NBA trade deadline, Quentin Grimes got traded from the New York Knicks. He's the half brother of uh, Tyler Myers. Fun fact. Really? Yes. The former Sabres defenseman, Tyler Myers. Yes, who was the last player in the NHL to play a playoff game for them. Always worth mentioning. It's been the oh, that's, a, that's also true? He's, that the is, last... he's the last active Wait, NHL... Say, say that one more time. What is he? Tyler he is Myers. The he's the last player in the NHL that has, that has played in the playoffs for the last. Buffalo Sabres. Okay, last player remaining, like currently playing in the NHL. Because yes. yeah. Tyler Ennis retired. He did. Did he play in the playoffs? He did. He would have been the second last. Okay. Okay. Good fun facts from Joe today. All right, Joe, so... What if they do move Eric Johnson? I don't know if they're going to get anything for him, but I'll ask. Uh, well, let's let's visit that. And how about picking apart some of these prospects? Are we willing to or what they can get? Yes, basically indicate that may be happening over the next few months here on WGR. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight 
better than reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. of you and, and uh, Lee Harvey Oswald circling around the internet right now. People think you two look alike. Did you ever hear that before? I haven't. That's my first time hearing it. Yeah. What do you think about that comparison? Uh, Physical comparison, obviously. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, what a position to put him in, right? To ask him that. I mean, what do you think about that comparison of the guy who's accused of murdering President John F. Kennedy? There's been some weird ones. <laughs> Super Bowl Media I mean, Week. It's just like some. That, you're always going to get something. You could feel his uncomfortableness in that answer, right? Yes. As it should be. Like like, how, I don't like, know what to tell buddy, you. How dude, am I supposed I mean, to answer this question? Yeah. Like, what do you What do you want from me? You, what, what do you What yeah. do you want? Oh yeah, I'm honored. No, no. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Rock Purdy. Uh, the. Cleveland Browns are going to get a new stadium, or they're going to have a renovation of their old stadium. But yeah. there's a lot going on today. I saw you retweet their statement on it because there's been a lot of reporting. Apparently, I think what happened here is there's been some leaks, so I think the team felt that they had to kind of address mm-hmm. some aspect of this. So they kind of put out there that, yeah, we're looking at renovating. We're also looking at new possibilities. And apparently, according to our buddy Daryl Ryder at the fan in Cleveland, sister station here on Odyssey. Mm-hmm. He has confirmed a report from another from another reporter that says the Browns are buying 176 acres in Brook Park near the airport, which is adjacent. It's a, I'm sorry, in Brook Park was adjacent to the Cleveland airport. Also, I believe, from what I've read here, the airport is scheduled to have some major renovation. This could all be a part of a big project to get a new Browns stadium where the Cleveland airport is, which I'm I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to look on a map. And then they're going to go through the, is it going to have a roof and all of that? But, Joe, it's trending towards them getting a new stadium, not renovating the old stadium now. Yeah, and I'm looking at Daryl's Twitter, and he's saying, this is not a report as much as I think it's some of his opinion, um, that mm-hmm. there's a good chance that it will have a roof. But, again, that's just kind of him, like, you know, putting two and two together. Oh, you can yeah. generate more economic impact. Uh, with a stadium, I will also point out that as much as all these teams always want a dome, that there's there's a pretty good reason. There's some there's some reason why the all of the dome teams are pretty much in the south or in warm weather climates, like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and New England, and Baltimore, Buffalo, um, the Jets and the Giants. Like a lot of these, the Seattle. A lot of these cold weather environments don't have domes. I don't know why. Just it seems to be the way it is. There's a couple, but most of them are like Atlanta and you know New Orleans and you know Houston. So I don't know if that. What are, what are the what are the the ones that do it? Minnesota and Detroit. Minnesota and Detroit, I think, are probably the only two right that are cold weather climates that have a dome. And those two always had domes. They didn't suddenly right. build one. Right, right. right. Okay, they didn't them. like go from now. Minnesota didn't always. They used to play outdoors back in the seventies. Then they built the Metrodome, right. and then you know they played there for a long time. Built their new dome. Detroit was always in the Silverdome. Now they obviously play at Ford Field. Indy, I guess, but they've always also played in a dome. But that's not necessarily east. Like that's kind of it's Midwest, right? But it's a little bit more north. But yeah. not the kind of climate so, in Buffalo. 
That's really it, though. So I think I'd want to bet against. I'd want to take someone's bet unless they know that mm. Cleveland's going to be open air again. I don't know, like mm-hmm. those, those. I don't want to make a generalization about those cities, the Rust Belt cities, you know, up north. Um, but I don't know. I think you're getting a more premium customer in places like Dallas and Atlanta and Houston that are that are. You're gonna the money that is gonna be spent is there. The corporate money to get a roof built is gonna be there because sometimes you're almost doubling the cost of a stadium by doing that. Mm-hmm. And so Cleveland, all right, if they want a roof, how are they gonna do it? I doubt they're gonna have the level of corporate money that's gonna be able to make that happen. They probably are gonna have to get, you know, taxpayer money to have that happen, and that's when that gets even more tricky. So I, I you know, we'll see. I'm betting, though, I would bet, just not knowing anything, that they're not going to have a dome. Elliot Friedman's 32 thoughts included a thought on the Sabres possibly moving some prospects over the next several months. He also mentioned Eric Johnson. Seems like a no-brainer for a contending team. I agree with that. I don't think you're getting much for Eric Johnson. Uh, he's a veteran player. He's, 30, he's 35 years old. How old is he? Is he 35 years old? How old is he? he I think he's 35, yeah. And he'll be a UFA at the end of the year, so... I mean, you're really getting probably a late-round pick for him, something like that, future considerations. I'm not really sure. I can't imagine he'd fetch anymore. Maybe I'm wrong, Joe. I mean, would you see it that way? A team needs a guy like that, but I can't see much. Fifth, sixth-rounder, seventh-rounder. Like, I just, I don't think you're getting much of anything. He is pretty provably bad right now. (laughs) Five-on-five, at least. He And Paul's pointed this out, and he's right. And the numbers back it up, too, that he's been a very, very good penalty killer. Um, and he's definitely helped that mm-hmm. for the Sabres. So if you're, if there's okay. a team out there that thinks, all right, we're pretty good on our blue line. We only need this guy to play like 12 minutes a night and just come help our penalty kill. We'll throw you a six-round pick. Um, but I wouldn't think that anybody is lining up to, to give anything of value for him at this point. Okay, so let's pick apart if they do start moving some prospects. Where do you start? Where do you end? Because there's obviously a lot of names that you know. I I love the mm-hmm. potential of them. That's what prospects are—the potential of them. And Matthew Savoy and Yuri Kulik. Like I don't want to see them move, but at the same time, it's the price of trying to get better, right? You're going to have to do it at some point. Would you start with that group, or would you start with young guys here already in Buffalo? Well, those guys would be who Benson, Paterka, and Quinn. Um, yep. would be that group. If you're getting one of those players, I think it needs to be a pretty massive trade. Like, we're talking about a player that I don't see being available right now. Like, we're talking about an Eichel-level trade where you're you're giving up J.J. Paterka and other stuff because you're getting a legitimate star back um, or you're giving, like, Zach Benson's their number one prospect in the organization that's already in the NHL. Same thing. Why am I trading Zach Benson? I'm getting, you know, again, right. a, a version of the Eichel trade. Some other team's best player is suddenly on the market. I think what's much more likely if they do a trade like this is, yeah, they'll trade a Savoy, they'll trade an Oslind, a, a Kulik, they'll trade a Roseanne, someone like, I mean, that's four first-round pick forwards right there that we all know are all not going to make the team someday. So this trade's inevitable no matter what. I, I think you package a guy like that, you throw a draft pick in, on top of it, maybe a future first, and you go get a player that makes you immediately better. I would think in particular on the blue line, the problem is 
I don't know if that's a deadline deal, especially for a team that's not really in the race right now. Like that might be more of an off-season trade. The only deadline deal I think makes sense on that front would be getting another prospect. There's this guy, this kid, David Juracek in Columbus, who went sixth overall two years ago. He has no idea why he's not in the NHL. Columbus is terrible. They have no defensemen. This guy just scored a hat-trick in the AHL the other night. He's not even that offensive of a defenseman. He just wants to be in the league, and now his trade name is on the market. Like To me, I I would want to swap one of my forward prospects for their top defenseman prospect. And and that is more of a hockey trade, I think. Like that is the type of idea I think the deadline makes sense for more than, you know, let's go buy right now. I just looked at team's penalty kill percentage, and the first team I get to that is a serious possible contender right now that does not have a good penalty kill is the Winnipeg Jets. All right. Send them Eric Johnson for a conditional fifth. If they, how about let's let's do let's get really uh, harsh with the conditions. It's a fifth, but it becomes a second if you win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> let's do that. Come on, Winnipeg. Here, here are the worst penalty kill teams right now in the league by percentage: Islanders, Sharks, Wild, Canadians, Senators, Jets, Predators, Blackhawks, Blue Jackets, Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. Any interest there? Somebody they got? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I hate this. Mm-hmm. I hate the idea of a seller's trade, but they're not. Yeah. You know what? There is one example. There's one example of the Sabres not even being in the race and buying at the deadline. Remember when they traded for Brandon Montour? I do. They traded yes. for Brandon Montour on February 24th of 2019. And the Sabres on that day, this was during the 10-game win streak season, I think, but they had already fallen... They had, all, they had already fallen out of the race. So on that day, there was a Sunday, they were six points out of a playoff spot. So not too different. They were a little closer than the 10 that they're back mm-hmm. now, but they weren't all that likely. They were pretty – it was a long shot. And they made that trade because they knew, okay, maybe we make a run now, but doesn't matter. We need a top-four defenseman. This guy's been a top-four defenseman in Anaheim. Let's go do that. It didn't work. I might want to blame Ralph Kruger for that, but – I want that trade right now. I want the Brandon Montour trade recreated with the hope that, you know, a better, more uh, offensive head coach is going to get more out of a player like that. I am thinking about deadline day deals now and, like, just guys. You know whose name came to my mind? Dinus Zubris. Oh, yeah. He now played, we're... what, like 20 games, I think? Yeah. Right? Like 20 the end of the year? regular season games. He was, he was, yeah. he was a part of that playoff run. I don't know if he That's ever right. scored. That's right. Um, He's on the ice when Drury scores in Game 5 against the Rangers. I know that. I don't know if he did anything on that shift, but he was on the oh, ice. Oh, really? He's in the celebration pile. Go back and look. Dinah Zubris okay. was out there. The hero line to tie it at the end. He was out there. Yes. They face off against Nylander, right? Yes. Uh, Zubris played 19 games, 8 points. All right. We're going to have to do that at some point. I would kill. The NHL trade I would kill to be mad that they spent... You know, a third round pick on some <laughs> rental that's not that good. That's going right. to allegedly help them in the playoffs. I would kill to be able to have arguments like that. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll wrap up your Thursday here in the Extra Point Show on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, Joe, we only have a couple minutes, but something else I wanted to run by you here, speaking of the Sabres. Uh, let me ask you this way. Who are, the t- who are the two Sabres main goalies two years from now? Devin Levi and, and someone other than UPL. I had a thought, and I think we're going to do it uh-huh. a little bit on the morning show tomorrow, like about okay. Lukanen and how you won't love it, but now is probably if you were ever going to trade him, you do it now mm-hmm. because his value is higher than it ever will be. And you got to decide whether you're paying him this summer. Yes. And I am loving, That's why I brought this up to you. I'm looking yeah. at the chart, and I'm like, I'm at Cap Friendly, and I'm like, we talk about Middlestat, but UPL's at RFA. Yeah, and I'm loving what he's doing this year. He, he's he been awesome. But if they still believe Devin Levi, and I, I do too. I mean, this is a normal development for a 21-year-old goaltender. This is completely normal. Mm-hmm. If they still believe Devin Levi's their future number one goaltender, then what am I giving... Ukapekalukanen to be my 1B for the future. I, I don't know. I, I think if right. you can, it's dangerous because I know you don't know what Levi's going to be, and Lukanen's been so good this year. But goalies are up and down. So this is this might not be as good as he is forever. He might have four seasons like this, but he might have five seasons where like last year. Um, I think that's about the goalie he's going to be. So can you use him to get a top four defenseman right now? Because and if the answer is no to that question, I don't need to trade him. I don't need to trade him unless I'm I'm getting that type of player. But if if I'm calling Calgary for Rasmus Anderson, who's a top pair defenseman, I think. But most teams would get him as a top four, and they say, okay, but we need Lukanen. I'm I'm not hanging up the phone. All right, so maybe you guys talk about this tomorrow. I like this conversation. We will revisit it as well. And then tomorrow, of course, more on the Super Bowl. That's on Sunday. Thanks for being with us today on a Thursday. Sabres live up next. One Bill's live after that on WGR. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. 
Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. 